Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are the MI guys, and we are IFIOC. My name is John Gilbert. Casey Jackson. And we are here to help you improve the outcomes with the individuals, communities, and organizations that you serve. To help with that today, we have a particular topic around values. And so uh, it's really interesting. There's, there's a whole podcast, video cast we have on Focus Mountain. If we want to get into that concept, I'm sure that'll pop up. Yes. But where I want to start is where this all came from, from what you know of MI, what people were talking about in the MI culture, and then why that's such kind of a big deal now to be values-based and just start with what's the point to values. <laughs> okay. Um, I think what I'll talk from is my experience and all I can say is in my experience, there wasn't a whole lot talked about with values and motivational interviewing. There was a lot talked about about target behavior, but there wasn't as much about values. The thing that I heard the most in terms of values was more around self-determination theory. So it's what we looked at and what I was exposed to in the beginning about that people are significantly more motivated by their own values, their own goals, than they are by the goals or values that other people set out for them. So so it was referenced when, when I was learning about motivational learning, when I was initially training on motivational interviewing, but it was significantly more target behavior based. Mm-hmm. And and for the most part, motivational is still very target behavior based. The first time when the concept of focus came up, which we've talked about Focus Mountain in other podcasts and we bring it up in almost everything we talk about because it's so fundamental. It was more when the construct of focus came up that I started looking at that balance between self-determination theory, long-term sustained behavior change, how do we impact that in the way we communicate, like those were the things that started clicking in my brain and where I made such a solid move with the whole focus mountain construct. I would say the next, for me, just as objectively as I can think about it, is when we were talking about kind of the values in driving when we started working on the MICA coding tool that, that you know you were an integral part of. And I remember at, I believe, I don't know if you remember which um, Mint Forum, the Motivation Week Network of Trainers International Stephen Forum, Rolnick, yeah. Stephen Rolnick, I think it was in Berlin. Yeah, with Kelly was at the table. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Stephen Rolnick was doing his, you know, kind of, discussion with a group of just his thoughts of where MI was at, Mm -hmm. and he's the one who brought up, you know, hey, maybe we've been missing the boat by focusing so much on target behavior. Mm -hmm. Maybe we really need to start looking more at people's values. And that's where we started to poke Casey. (laughs) Kelly and I got all excited, and we were like, exactly, we've been focusing on this for so long, and now it's finally being talked about by Rolnick, uh, and validating this sense of it's it's meaningful beyond the target behavior which everyone knew and probably people have talked about Absolutely. but values are a particular thing so I, I am curious like why that and not something else but I, I you, you were still on a on a on a story there so well, no gonna, that, yeah, that yeah. I mean that was pretty much it is that it, and then we picked it up it reinforced it there were several things that Bill Miller dr. William Miller said at that conference as well too that really kind of resonate in that same way that, you know, are we going deep enough with people, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, even though this is William Miller's stamped all over motivational interviewing, I think that most people don't know how fluent he is in so many other ways of thinking as well, too, Mm. and all the other things he expands into with like quantum change and just multiple ways of looking at all sorts of things about life and Mm -hmm. being here and just amazing concepts. 
And I think as, you know, just your experience, what you bring to the table in motivational learning, the things that I bring to the table in motivational interviewing, so much of what we look at is what augments motivational interviewing. It's not like this standalone concept, even though it is an evidence-based practice, we've got research, it's what we look at and we study, but there's so many things that feed into what makes motivational interviewing or makes what I think of is less about supporting the construct of motivational interviewing, but supporting the construct of how do we build sustained behavior change. Mm -hmm. And when we're trying to build sustained behavior change, there's lots of other data and research and theories and information out there about how we build, how do we tap into that intrinsic motivation. So, so I like that we have this foundational structure of motivational learning that's a pretty tight structure that gets stronger and stronger the more we do research around it. But then there's all these supporting theories and practices, and when we look at sustained behavior change, it really is hard to escape anything that has to do with what are our underlying motives and values. So I think those are the things that kind of pull this construct around for where, is, where does that come from. And so a thought that comes to mind to that that you may or may not know out there is that motivational interviewing is not grounded on any theory. It's really comes from this kind of compilation of best practices that are forming and shaping and open source because uh, Dr. Miller and Rolnick did not choose to copyright this like uh, critical uh, conversations or crucial conversations. Right. They've, they've kept it open and so it has this fluidity and also with that comes a little vagueness uh, of sorts. But I say this because there's things like self-determination theory right. that now have a strong association and seemingly a, a theoretical foundation. Um, there's a whole paper called Towards a Theory of Motivational Interviewing out there, and they're, they're trying to play with what's the difference. And there's plenty of very, very intelligent people of you out yeah. there that know these differences, and we can definitely go deeper into this. If you have comments, please share. But there's so much out there to dive into, and one of the ones I wanted to bring up beyond self-determination theory, self-affirmation theory, Theory, yes. And these other theories uh, that, that really relate, or there's the health belief model relates a lot to what MI is about. Another one is this thing called values theory, which I'm not super versed in, mm -hmm. but we know that there's something about values cross-culturally that there seems to be something that we all share as humans. So I'm wondering if you could speak to kind of this idea of starting to listen for values and how it crosses cultures and why it would matter to listen to values rather than not just for motivation, but why to listen in a way for values more than the target behavior, particularly when you're thinking about being cross-cultural. I, I, you know, I think the thing, just logically speaking, like if you just take it at face value, you would think if you want to change a behavior, what are you going to pay attention to? That behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, so just at face value... Yeah. When you think about that, it's a behaviorist. It's a behaviorist perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody's struggling with their drinking, if they're struggling with their weight, if they have heart, if, it just, well, let's, let's fix that behavior. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. at face value, it makes sense. And we can talk for days about theories, but what I like about bridging that with practicality is you think about do I get up and go to the gym because I want to go to the gym? Do I, not you. Do I get up and go to the gym because I want to go to the gym? <laughs> no, because a lot of times I don't do that. Most times I don't do that. You get up and go to the gym because you want to go to the gym. But most people don't. Some people do, but most people don't. Most people don't become vegan because they've just had a strong desire to eat plant-based. Most people don't do the behavior because they want to do the behavior. 
they do the behavior because it's an underlying driving force beneath that, which is usually a values-driven or an identity-driven. And it's hard to separate between values and identity. Mm-hmm. We want to be associated with pro-social positive values. We, that's, we personally want to identify with that, and most people want to be perceived as being aligned with pro-social mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. So there's your motive. It's not necessarily the behavior. It's the motive behind it. And I think this is where, when you think about why you get up and do the things that we do, we have underlying values for that. And from a cross-cultural perspective, again, I think where people can get caught and it makes sense why they would get caught is we do tend to get, we pay attention to the behaviors. And so we look cross-culturally and think, yeah, there's similar behaviors, but there's cultural impact on those behaviors. When you start to distill it down to core values, regardless of the language or the culture, you start to realize some of those core values are core values. Even to people that are, you know, you know, similar, same gender, you know, same rate, just there's similarities between you and I, you and I, if we have 15 core values, like we think of in Focus Mountain, distilling down to maybe 15 or 16 core values, your top two or three may be different than my top two or three. Well, that's cross-cultural as well, too. And ironically, I may, my top one may line up with somebody from Zimbabwe, um, you know, or Costa Rica. And yours may line up with somebody. So the core values are so similar. So we can have core cultural values, but we also have individual values. And even if our individual values in some cultures have to do with one of my core values is about collective, being part of a collective and doing what's best for the collective and not the best for myself. That still is a sense of contribution. Yeah, so I have to say, uh, the sense of contribution trumps your own sense of independence. independence right, exactly. And you want independence in certain ways and freedom, but you're willing to give up some independence. Yes. And it's not even giving it up for you. It's because it's providing this sense of contribution yes. um, that's very deep and fulfilling for who you want to be. And then, then there's no conflict of the values. You're just clear of which one matters more than the other. And you take that thought right there and you can see why that supersedes the behavior specifically then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that is the underlying force or driver is once I get clear about my values, it helps me get my ducks in a row as far as what do I need to do if that's where I want to go. On this, with the sense of contribution, you've talked about this with things before of the different options for that. If right. you would, like on this kind of value of that, one way is to be in a collectivistic culture and really focus on others and the whole outside of yourself. But you've talked about what are some other examples of contributing that look differently? Like you've, you've talked about this and trainings with um, something around uh, being a parent, yeah. right? Uh, but you don't necessarily have to be a parent to have a, a contribution of an impact to the world. You could be um, a little closer to home, might be a mentor to someone. Right. Um, you might do a lot of volunteer work. That would right. be a sense of contribution. You might do all or none of those exact things, but it, it can look so many different ways, seems Absolutely. to be what you're getting at. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's interesting. I mean, it just... I love talking about these things because it really does bring the tumblers where the tumblers fall into place. Because what you're talking about, it was the whole concept that we developed at IFIOC that I was working on in terms of if you get clear about the top of the mountain, we talked about this with the Focus Mountain podcast we did. Once you're clear about your values at the top of the mountain, there's multiple right ways to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what where such a sense of empowerment comes from. <clears throat> which is a challenge from an expert or a professional perspective because we get so invested 
that people need to go up the mountain the way we think they need to go up the mountain. When the reality is, is there's so many right ways to get up there. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when you were talking about starting with just grabbing a value from the top of the mountain, the way we talk about it from Focus Mountain perspective, if you take a sense of contribution, if you take a sense of uh, independence or freedom or security Mm -hmm. uh, or well-being or fulfillment, if you take some of those core values, there's so many right ways in the way that I might find it. You and I know this from massive amounts of conversations we've had your path or approach there's some of the things you do are wildly different than what i do for a sense of integrity Mm -hmm. or and there's a lot of things that we overlap which Mm -hmm. is why we spend so much time working together and the things we do because we have so much alignment around integrity and points of contention because we agree or disagree with a path up Mm -hmm. but the beauty in that is it doesn't challenge the fact that we both operate or attempted operate more often than not from a high level of integrity. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with contribution, with legacy, with any of these other core values that mm-hmm. drive us. Um, and, and, and even with that focus mountain concept, what I love about it is it's fairly easy then to assess or dial in on where the issues tend to be is what we're doing or how we're doing it. It's not about why we're doing it. And there was a conversation that Tammy and I had at one time um, about, uh, oh, somebody had written in about miscommunication. And the miscommunication tends to be over what you're doing or how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. When you get really clear about why somebody's doing Mm -hmm. it, it really starts to mitigate some of that. And it's Mm -hmm. harder to be emotionally reactive when you know that that other person is doing it from a place of love Mm -hmm. or a sense of contribution. Mm -hmm. We like to attribute negative values to it. Mm -hmm. um, When it's really not negative values, it Mm -hmm. really is a misperception on our part or a misplacement of it because then we literally can blame them. We can mm-hmm. blame outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It makes us, it puts us in a righteous perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can see this mm-hmm. from a behavior difference between what are they doing or how they're doing it, which is the behavior versus why are they doing it, which is that intention underneath it. And I think that, I think just having that construct makes it so much easier to navigate. You're brought up parenting. It makes it easier to navigate relationships. Okay, let me be clear about that. It doesn't make it easier. <laughs> it gives you a blueprint to be able to navigate it more effectively. Yes. I mean, let's be really accurate. Um, <laughs> doesn't so, take the so it doesn't take emotion out of it. Man. It doesn't make it easy because you can see it. But at least when you see it and you mm-hmm. have a blueprint for how you could approach mm-hmm. it, what I love about this, and we talk about this so much, is at least it provides informed choice. Yes, yes. I can still be righteous and angry and upset, or at least I have the choice to go, if I manage this, if I navigate and choose to communicate this way, the probability shows that I'm going to end up with a better outcome for everyone. And that just goes back to integrity. It's really hard to just throw that out the window just because I'm being emotionally reactive. Um, and then we can do a whole other thing about that. I was just at that you know, conference that I was at about brain chemistry. It really does make sense. The difference between kind of our primal limbic brain or the primal brain um, and then our executive function and our frontal lobe cortex, you know, just, mm-hmm. you can see those things we want to justify from a survival place and from a caveman, you know, club you over the head mm-hmm. perspective, which sometimes feels really, really good because we get a really good rush after we do that. Um, <laughs> and our brain's set up to do that. Uh, but in the long run, it just doesn't feel good when yeah. we step back and look at who do we really want to be when we grow mm-hmm. up. Which is really hard because we have troubles as humans, myself included, with delayed gratification. And uh, there's the famous marshmallow test. I've redone it many times over. There's all these things we could get into, but delayed gratification is hard. And so in an MI-based conversation, what's clear is you're really, as you've taught me, 
bringing someone to talk about values because it really is a core of their motivation of who they want to be. And then like you talk about camping at the top of the mountain, what it would be like, what it would taste like, touch like, feel like, camp up there, be in that reality and viscerally, gutturally feel that because that inspires, that motivates. And then the work then the work, right? right? Once we're inspired, then we can do the work. And it's not, and there, there, this doesn't get it to say that that always has to happen before you can change. There is plenty of social research, the fake it till you make it thing. Right. It gets into the debate of cognitive behavioral therapy right. versus behaviorists. It's not saying you always have to have that, but what we're finding with a values focus uh, through our approach with Focus Mountain and things like that is there's a motivation there and there might even be competing motives. Or if you're in a relationship, one person might uh, value growth more than the other person. So that creates a values conflict that's so core to who they are. It's, it's navigating that could be a lot harder than just this behavior, that behavior. And, and there's, before we jump in, there's two things at some point I'd love for you to do to make this practical and definitely come in with what you were going to, but around the whole, um, kind of parenting example, I love when you do that one, uh, in the training as, uh, being on opposite sides of the mountain, the what's and house, as well as then the, um, the drug dealer with the uh, probation officer. officers, those would be wonderful at some point. So, yeah, well, so there's a couple things. I think both those can segue into what I was thinking about too. So like the one that I, mostly the reason this came up for an example was because people ask about it in every training, someone will raise their hand and say, yeah, but what if I have their spouse comes in? Or what happens if it's a parent-child or... In the same room. In the same room, same time. Or if we have a community partner that comes in, they have their agenda or an allied partner that's with us and and their agenda is different than the agenda that we have or the agenda of the client. So there's three or more people in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, And that's where the whole construct came up for... You know, how do you do it from like family perspective or relationship perspective? It's why the Focus Mountain worked so well. And and as soon as people ask that question, I jump to that slide to show them or have them pull out of their packet. Because we tend not to argue over the top of the mountain what our core values are. Mm. But you've got people that literally are at again, we'll use Mount Rainier as an example. You have people that are two different towns at the base of Mount Rainier. And the vantage point from one town, looking at the top of Mount Rainier, and the vantage point from a different, they may not even think they're in the same mountain range, you know? And especially because in those moments where we're fighting and there's tension and discord between us, when that's happening, we're not even looking at the top of the mountain. We're just looking at that they're not listening. They don't understand what we're talking about. And we're angry and frustrated about that. So when we look at the horizon in front of us, we're just like, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And the other person's looking at the mountain from their perspective and just the trees and the path in front of them, and they think that neither one of them are on the same planet. What I love about an MI perspective or from a focused perspective or this values-driven perspective is once you get them focused to the top, which is do you want a sense of harmony and integrity in your relationship? And both of them are going to say, well, yes. When you say to a parent, do you want your child to grow up to be more independent and responsible? They're going to say yes when you turn to the child and say, do you want your parents to treat you with more independence and do you want to show more responsibility? They're going to say yes. But if you say, um, should your parents let you go to a party this weekend? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that's when the argument starts Mm -hmm. because we get so focused in the trees and the here and now Mm -hmm. that we lose what is the motive for change. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where people get confused because 
just in our in our mainstream American vernacular, we tend to squish a lot of things together. And in MI, I've spent so much time, literally for my own brain process, because I'm not always the brightest, and I really need to get things clear in my brain first before I can talk about it or teach it. And we have so many things going on. I wanted to make sure what are we talking about in these situations and get really clear about semantics and the difference with, with that. values versus maybe priorities. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. or um, social, what we think of as social values. Like, well, I value my family. I value my parenting. I mm-hmm. value work. Um, I value a good day's work. Mm-hmm. Well, those it doesn't mean those aren't things that people value, but they're not core operating values. Mm-hmm. And I think we tend to squish that together and that's mm-hmm. why I needed to discern in my own brain. And this was what was helpful um, with the probation officer example, who uh, uh, Chris, who is just a, a great human being and worked his way up through detention and, and juvenile detention as a probation officer. And I really love, even just thinking about him makes me happy because he's just a, a guy who operates from integrity and wants to do the right thing at all times for the kiddos that he works with. And I remember at one point he's saying, you know, I don't have the same values as some of these kids. And I've had this from law enforcement. I've had this from all sorts of professionals. I don't have the same values as some of these drug dealers or gangbangers or, you know, when I worked in the prison system, you know, some of these guys who've done horrific crimes. And my response back was, do you value financial security and respect from your peers? And people are like, well, of course I do. Um, it's like it's the same thing that a gangbanger is looking for or a drug dealer is looking for mm-hmm. is they want respect from their peers and they want financial security. Mm-hmm. Their what or their how or their path to the top of the mountain may be wildly different than yours. Theirs may end up getting them frozen and lost on the side of the mountain, but they're still going for the same top of the mountain that you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that really helps people start to destigmatize mm-hmm. behavior because as soon as we start to stigmatize, stigmatize behavior, it really does have an impact on the quality of service we provide. Mm-hmm. It starts to bias and skew it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the level that mm-hmm. I hold myself to as a professional is the only problem is I'm the one who's getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. If I'm getting paid to be the professional, if you're collecting a paycheck, then step up and be professional. It's not a place for your personal bias to come into this. Mm-hmm. That's my bias. Mm-hmm. I have a huge bias around that with professionals mm-hmm. is if we're getting paid a paycheck, it's our responsibility to bring the best we can bring to the people that we serve. Mm-hmm. We can justify doing all sorts of things mm-hmm. because of the populations we work with can be offensive to us or do have horrible behaviors mm-hmm. or self, you know, destructive or destructive to other people. <clears throat> and once we see that, then we can have opinions and have bias around that. But my baseline is if you're going to collect a paycheck for helping these individuals, your bias has no place here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what you're getting paid for is your bias. Your bias mm-hmm. is to help this population that you literally signed up in an interview to get this job to serve. It's mm-hmm. your responsibility to step up and do it from that perspective. So that was my soapbox on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> from that perspective, I think cause it's a values-driven thing mm-hmm, again, too. Mm-hmm. The difference between values and, and behavior um, from that perspective. So I think those are the things that are really curious. When you were talking, there were there was, uh, two particular things. But first, just to solidify what you were talking about, is this idea that it can cross cultures to talk from a values yes. place rather than from a behavior place. So that way, be it... Uh, same skin, same age, or different skin, different age, different uh, uh, sex or mixed sex or whatever, you know, is happening for what you could perceive as a difference starts to be, you could call it transcended. It starts to go away by focusing on values. Then they become more 
human yeah. as a human. And now you see them as a human and listen to them more as a human instead of stigmatize them as an other. And in that way, that's its own kind of form of empathy. And that's that's where I eventually want to get to uh, by the end of the conversation is, is how we do this. We're getting that kind of the yes. what, some level, uh, and deeper into the why. Yes. Um, but one of those whys that's really powerful is destigmatizing. And by naturally listening in this way, it's going to destigmatize. By really working to hear their values, you naturally are stepping in their world and their reality to hear differently yes. from what is being talked about in the example of, um, you know, maybe uh, slinging drugs on the streets or things like this. Yeah. Um, that's just a place of financial stability or financial freedom and respect yeah. from your peers at how good you are at that. That's not this. Uh, it might be a, 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 a behavior that's illegal, but you're less about stigmatizing that and you're more about, oh, this is why you're doing what you're doing. Yes. And part of why Bill Miller would walk in and call it motivational interviewing yes. was to discover why people are doing what they're doing and what, if anything, you'd want different and why and discover kind of the the other values they have so that's that's just I just wanted to bring that in as it destigmatizes in a natural way it empathizes in a natural way right. and it creates a more humane conversation in a natural way and so I, I still want to throw out how we might do it as a future topic as well as before I lose it yeah. <laughs> this idea around not only uh, how we enter that conversation, but what about like bringing in information or having a conversation where someone always has choice, they can yeah. take any path or approach up the, but they might still be in pre-contemplation and unaware that this path might lead to not where they're thinking, right? And just how to have those yeah. conversations from a values-based place. Well, the thing that I want to dial back to what you were talking about is, because what you said several times is if you can step back and realize why they're slinging drugs, you know, then you can come about that it comes like the empathy comes in more of a natural way or these things come in a natural way. What I'll say is for a lot of people, it doesn't come in a natural way. When they see somebody slinging drugs or abusing someone or all the things people do, it comes in a natural way because we've gotten so trained in yeah. how to do it. Because I'm brainwashed by this guy. <laughs> exactly. <so that's> my... <laughs> and I think for so and many people... And I'm not people, attached to the outcome. Right. I'm not attached to the behavior. Yeah. I, I think what you are mm -hmm. really... What you're talking about, though, is once you have a clearer blueprint, mm -hmm. you have a clearer path or approach you can take. But I think that's what people... I think because we get used to, why would you do it any other way? This just seems so natural to do this. Mm -hmm. But as you're talking about, then it's so much more natural to do these things. It's so much more natural. But what we find when we train mm -hmm. is when people try to do it, it's like, this does not feel natural. It does yeah. not feel normal. Got to get over the learning uh, curve. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But once you get into it, it's what we've been talking about this whole talk has been, it, it's how do we help orchestrate that they get their behavior to align with their values, mm -hmm. personally and mm -hmm. professionally. And, and I think that's such a critical construct because I it is hard for us to imagine why people would take any other approach than a motivational learning approach or a person-centered approach, but it's not natural. The more natural things have been trained to tell people what to do and we're the expert in how to do it. And, and it feels so unnatural mm -hmm. for us, mm -hmm. but it feels so natural for so many professions because that's what they've studied for. It's why mm -hmm. we get all the initials after our mm -hmm. names is to be able to do that. Even if they're values focused, I might jump in like, you know, but that's going to really have a negative effect on your freedom. And you know, you might not want to do that. It turns into them trying to be values based, yes. but they're really just trying to sell and tell someone on why not to do that behavior. And they're still focused on the behavior as wrong yes. versus choice oriented and that whole kind of concept. Well, and that just came up too at the, that conference I was at. Mm -hmm. And it just reinforced what we've learned before is that the way we attribute things to different people. 
Hmm. If I'm speeding and cutting you off in traffic because my girls are standing at school and I'm 10 minutes late to pick them up, then that's because I'm late. I'm not being a jerk. But if somebody cuts me off in traffic, they're basically an a-hole. AKA rationalizing or blaming and stigmatizing. And and it's how we associate. We associate associate ourselves that we have positive values and we associate people with negative behaviors. Mm -hmm. Even if we have the exact same behavior, Hmm. we're coming from a good place and we just assume that they're coming from a bad place. There's there's a whole theory around how we do this Mm -hmm. attribution to other people, Mm -hmm. the attributions we assign to other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing. When you, one way to get everybody on the same page or when you're operating out the same blueprint print is what if we just believed, which you and I know are true, but what if everybody believed that every human being operates or has a set of pro-social, true pro-social values, and if we look for that before we overemphasize the behavior, that would change a lot of conversations. That would change a lot of the way that relationships unfold. Um, and it's not the way we tend to research shows. That's not the way we tend to do it. We tend mm-hmm. to attribute all sorts of negative things to people's negative behaviors. But yeah. when we have negative behaviors, we don't we don't associate those same things. We don't attribute that to ourselves. Yes. yes. So all sorts of biases. There. All, all sorts of biases. Yes. To to really challenge this and bring this for some of you out there that might be listening and have some really extraordinary hardcore situations. You've been in these. Uh, with well, some with yeah. your your backgrounds in um, obviously some not all of that yeah. but but with your backgrounds in prisons and if you would kind of of course not necessarily speaking about the behaviors or anything mm-hmm. but just attribute when you can be values focused person centered but at a certain point you know you've talked about how certain people have zero ambivalence yeah. and yet you it doesn't mean you can't be values focused and it doesn't mean it's not having an impact on you but I'm, if you would kind of talk through your experience of how you did that uh, when you look back on what you were doing in the prisons and you heard some behaviors that were what they were and yeah. it's you can get into trying to be as objective as possible yes. but how do you still stay values focused in a situation like that I mean, my brain, brain just kind of explodes because I just think of so many different scenarios. I know one, um, when we're talking about antisocial personality disorder, we're talking about sociopathic. When I think of uh, the segue that I'll say from that, from working in more complex situations, is I still remember a situation, um, you know, I, I love the years that I worked in the prisons. I was lucky because I was working in the treatment side of things, which was, it would just put me in a different position than operating from a pure corrections perspective. And so there was a lot of good engagement I got with um, the individuals I worked with who'd been incarcerated. And I still remember, and this was such a values-based difference in trying to help model healthy decision makings based on values instead of our own reactions. And I still remember there's a, an individual who was um, more biker gang involved, not like when we think of gangbanger involved, but more biker gang involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been convicted for transporting drugs across federal or across state lines. So it's federal offense. I think it's picked this one is at federal prison, and um, and he was in for five years away from his family, and he had like two pounds of weed, um, and so he's in for five years from that. And I still remember the second day. So there was somebody across our state line um, who was a uh, I think he was a physician. He was a physician or a dentist. I'm almost positive he was a physician. And he had been sexually abusing a 14-year-old boy for years. And mm-hmm. um, so there was all this stuff on the news and things like that. And so they brought him to federal prison across state lines to kind of put him in more of a safe situation. Uh, he ended up getting 90 days. <laughs> yeah. 
That's my writing reflex. That's coming your writing out. reflex coming up. <laughs> so you've got an individual who's away from his family for five years for carrying two pounds of marijuana across the state line to sell, and you've got somebody in for ninety days for sexually abusing a child for years. You're going to look at behaviors. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go to core values in that moment. Mm-hmm. And this is, I still remember that when this individual walked into my office, the, the one who was gang involved um, came in and he basically, he threw himself in my, in the couch so hard that he almost tipped over the couch. And he just said, there's going to be a, <laughs> there's going to be a party tonight, uh, a pillow party tonight. Um, and, and we just kind of walked through it. He said, how do you explain it? He, you explained to me why I'm here for five years away from my family and here's somebody that's done this that's here for 90 days explain that to me well and i can immediately hear that a sense of justice for you oh, is very important absolutely. like i can just that's what we listen to yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um fairness yeah, yeah. integrity yeah, yeah. all these different things yeah. and but when you are there this and we literally know this is what causes discord and resistance is when we pay attention to the behavior there's a higher likelihood there's going to be tw- tension between the two like people, I would never do those kind of things. Those are not things I'd be involved in. You know, all these things that mm-hmm. we can get on board with. It's the underlying values piece of it. And this was the thing about, you know, accountability. Do we believe in accountability? Do we believe in, you know, multiple different things? And, but it's so hard in those moments when we're having our own reactions to get out from the trees and start to look at the values-driven system of it. Especially when what I, we don't do is validate the behaviors. It's not like, say, those behaviors are okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's hard for us because, again, it's that attribution where we want to attribute negative things to other people, but we assume positive intent for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. What One of the things that you were talking about that it leans into is, uh, and this is what came up in prison when we're assessing when I was assessing, as I was using more and more motivational interviewing, is this going to be something where behavior change is going to be an option or not an option? Mm-hmm. And when, and this is where I've talked about multiple times, like we can have a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. And in, this is just my personal professional experience or belief system is somebody's, we can diagnose, you know, a thousand people here. There's only a slight section of that that I think are truly sociopathic that mm-hmm. don't have the old school sociopathic have zero social conscience. They can have antisocial behavior, but I think this section of it, there may be ambivalence and this is what I'm assessing. And this is partly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. So if I have two individuals that both have done a, a heinous, horrific crime, um, especially to another person, and if my reflection, if I'm not being judgmental, if I'm just trying to hold up a mirror for them to look at themselves without me judging it or society judging it and saying, you know, there's, there's nights you're laying in bed just thinking, you know, gosh, I wish that would have played out differently. Hmm. Um, and you'll have one individual that says, you know, I think about that every single night. It got out of control. I don't know how it happened. So immediately, they got ambivalence. There's they have ambivalence, ambivalence. exactly. Yeah. Like when they, they step back and they're out of the heat of the moment, their frontal cortex, their brain, their gray matter mm-hmm. and their brain looks at that and just goes, that's just not Gosh. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what I automatically think is, well, then their behavior was not in alignment with what their deeper values are. Mm-hmm. In that moment, they were completely opposed. But in mm-hmm. those moments, we know that there's trauma going on. There's the, the impact on executive functioning. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that are happening that are stopping the individual from making the best rational decisions, mm-hmm. which we all go through streaks like that. Yeah. Not that extreme for most people, but yeah. we all go through those situations. As opposed to that one slice of the population that I think leans more towards sociopathic, zero social conscience, when I make that same reflection, like, gosh, there's nights you lay awake and just think, 
I just wish that would have played out differently. And they're not even defensive. There's more of this confusion like, well, why would it have played out differently? They deserved what they got. Mm. It's like, and, and you can see there just is no issue. There's no values conflict there. Their There's behavior is completely, I would do it again. Right. They deserved it, and I don't need to defend that to anyone. Right. I get pleasure, even the more maybe disturbing ones. Exactly. I get pleasure out of doing this antisocial behavior. So why would anyone do it differently? That seems to be the scary part. Th- that's the scary part. And yeah, this yeah. is the thing that I like and when we teach this, is there's two primary models that I think of, mostly primary models I think of in healthcare and behavioral healthcare, which is between are we looking at behavior change or are we looking at compliance? Mm-hmm. Well, right there is a good example between the individual that's laying there, zero defenses, not feeling like they need to define, defend or justify anything that says, God, you know, I think about that every night, I wish it would have played out differently. Well, then you can work on behavior change mm-hmm. with the individual that's just as kind of confused, not defensive, but wondering why anybody would have an issue with what they did, you're going to lean more towards a compliance model. Mm-hmm. That's going to need to be managed. For society. For society's mm-hmm. sake, mm-hmm. exactly. Because you don't want their behavior to be in alignment with those values. Yeah. Um, for humankind. For, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you can feel that mm-hmm. uh, in those situations. And so, again, what's interesting is we can get so obsessed and caught in the behavioral things and talk about it ad nauseum. But when you do start to step back and look at things from a values-based perspective and decisions from a values-based perspective, the picture comes a little bit more into focus mm-hmm. and you do have um, more mindful strategy that you can walk into conversations mm-hmm. with. And again, like we say so often, personally and professionally, you can be more mindful in how you navigate those dialogues. So. And, and it almost taps into, it's like we're basically, as, as we're kind of coming to the end of this one, thinking about people, ha- it, it's this, just like um, there's a natural you could call it assumption. It's it's what underlies self-determination theory that there's this natural desire for happier and healthier within the human species. And in this case, what we're saying is if you approach people that there's this natural um, desire for aligning our behaviors with what our values are, that's what we're really saying in, yes. in, with the Focus Mountain and these concepts. And that it's our job to listen past the behaviors, to not just hear, but verbalize and help this person see and touch and feel their values. And in those values, what aligns with who they ultimately, ultimately want to be right out of the, not just in the here and now, but in the the future, future and what's most fulfilling for them and integrous. And if we can do that, we're going to help people have more informed choice, not just in the moment, in the heat, but like true informed choice of navigating a life that aligns their behaviors, even if it's hard and especially when it's hard with who they ultimately want to be, not stigmatizing them, not putting them in a box, but there is a place for compliance for those that their behaviors are aligned with their values. If they are antisocial, but they get to decide, is it worth it to be locked up and these sorts of things or their freedom? And they still get the decision. And that's the last thing I wanted to bring in is there is an implicit choice here as there is an MI that they get to take the route they want to fulfill their values. They're working kind of another assumption is up Maslow's hierarchy towards their own self-actualization. And the more they're disenfranchised, the harder it's going to be to see past the trees to their values. So we as MI practitioners need to be all that much better at helping them touch it, taste it, feel it, see it. What are 
their values, which can be in mental health conversations, as, you, as you've told me, how would tomorrow be better than today? Right. And listen for the depth. It doesn't right. have to be this heady conversation. But I'll just lastly say for future podcasts, there were some things we didn't tap into, such as how do we do this, right? How do we listen for the why a little bit more? Not just ask it, but like there's activities we could do, especially in the silver or the gold membership. We could do activities around this. So whatever would be helpful for you, please let us know. And there's also a whole conversation. We might do a whole podcast. I don't know. Around what about how someone thinks in my world? There's a certain path to well-being that just isn't aligned with the most objective perspective. And how do you have those conversations about someone thinks their behavior is getting them to fulfill their value? And in a certain way they are. But when we look at other perspectives or other information or Mm -hmm. feedback on an assessment tool or something, how do we bring that in in a way, in a neutral way, in an empowering way for them to make an informed choice on who they want to be, not a pejorative blaming or you're wrong. There's a whole conversation to be had around that. So those are all values-based conversations and um, the MICA, we didn't talk about that too. When you're proficient uh, in guiding, we get into values and we can coach around values. This isn't just a concept. This isn't a belief. You can actually get uh, coaching on the embodiment of this as well. So I'll just kind of lastly throw that out, given this is our values one-off first time. So we went a little bit longer today, but hopefully it was valuable for you. If you have any questions, comments, please let us know. Anything you'd like us to dive deeper into, any theories we didn't touch on, anything uh, you'd like to go deeper into, please let us know. Again, we're the MI guys, providing the solution, the communication solution. The communication solution to change your world. I finally got it. Got it. All right. (laughs) We'll talk about it later. Thanks a lot. (laughs)